0: Yeah, that's a good setting of the stage,
1: Dave. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Hey listeners, welcome
0: back to the sound studio here with my my brother, my good buddy, part of the crew, Dave Mazler. I'm Bob Mazler, and Dave, how are you
1: doing? Well, Bob, um, you know, it's a pretty good day to be alive. I feel like we like to record on these Sunday afternoons and I always feel like my energy level... Like my day is ruined by podcasting, but my energy level is always through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you collapse after a podcast? Um, no, it's just like my day, I, I wake up, I get, I do my breakfast thing. I try and get some like one or two tasks done. I'm always trying to get my runoff, get all my coffee in. Like my whole morning and uh, mid afternoon is like all like prep and planning. Like, let's get ready. And then here comes the podcast and like throws a wrench in my day. And then from here, the rest of my day is just like, I'll just sit on the couch, you know, doing nothing. Yeah. It's too
0: bad we don't get paid for it. Then you'd feel like, ah, at least I, another day, another dollar.
1: Yeah. I, I sometimes think about that. Like if we were making money off this or if this was like a, not just a venture of love would it become corrupted like would we feel beholden to something or somebody or you know if we had like a patreon a bunch of people that were like given a dollar per episode i'd feel like i'd be really letting them down today you know yeah you're right we'd have to always produce a good good quality product yeah which would be okay I just feel like those times when I'm not not like those late Thursday evenings when I'm just like done and we're like, okay, let's do a podcast. And I, you know, peel my corpse off the bed and get behind the old, uh what are these called? The Yeti blue mics? Yetis. <laughs> the Yetis. <laughs> those episodes I'm like, and sometimes they actually turn out great, but sometimes I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> This episode of Thriving in Dystopia is brought to you by Yeti. Make
0: your podcast sparkle. (laughs) Um, I think you have to have a little bit of space in your life to make it like a gig. You know, it doesn't have to become a job, but you have to have, you know, you can't be working full-time or full-time plus, and then also be having a patron project, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Look at like baseball bits. Like he, that's his
1: full-time job. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I just don't think we're, we're we'll ever really do that. I did have there was a like an offshoot of an offshoot of a podcast I listened to. It's called Wonderful, and it's by one of the my brother, my brother and me guys. Wow. And he does it with his, he does it with his wife, his wife, his cousin, and his third <laughs> nephew.
0: <laughs> my wife, my cousin, and my third nephew, and me. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway, I sometimes listen to their podcast and they just, it's kind of like our podcast. They talk about one small thing that they find wonderful and then one big thing that they find wonderful. And sometimes we do um, those type of shows and maybe, maybe we should explicitly do one of those someday where we talk about one little thing and then one big thing that's wonderful. Nice. Um, But I just wanted to bring it up because this, they live in Austin, Texas, and there's some like Austin is known for its bats and they are this week. They dedicated their episode to like a fundraiser to try and raise money for the Austin bat cave. I don't really know what that is, but I thought it'd be fun to someday do a thriving in dystopia, like fundraiser drive. Yeah. Where we try and like, get as much money raised for what would we raise money for bob
0: we could do like something like for example if there was like a standing rock situation and they needed some funds we could be like hey we're doing this episode for the folks at standing rock we'll send all the money directly to andrew Patton, who's at standing rock right now and he would use it for nursing supplies you know something like that. Oh, yeah. I think that would grab I mean, people.
1: Yeah. Speaking of which, the the book Water Protectors came out this year and I think it's up for like the Children's Book Award. is called the Dr. Seuss Award or something like that. The Theodore K. Russell or whatever his name is. Um yeah, just look at it in the show notes. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry crew. Um but it I think it, it's up for the gold medal and we'll see if it wins. Cool.
0: That's good to know.
1: Yeah. look that one up. Try to
0: put that one on the show notes. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just going to say Theodore Dreisel. So I don't have to put that guy on
1: the show notes. (laughs) You stay (laughs) out of my show notes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Oh man. It's been a big year uh, to get rid of Seuss. Have you noticed that? Oh yeah, I have. And I'd like to clear it up
0: that it was the Theodore Dreisel foundation itself that wanted to discontinue those books or like not print them. And it was a, like, but the right wing said it was like left ring cancel culture out of control, but
1: it was the Institute itself that wanted to do it. Interesting. That's, that's interesting. In elementary school, there's a day where older grades read to younger grades. And historically it's been a Dr. Seuss book that the older grades will read to the younger grades. But this year, at my school, we read a bunch of books like Water Protectors and um, like Standing Up. I can't remember the name of all the books, but the book I read was called The Book of Empathy. The book that was, sorry, I didn't read it, but the book that my kids read was called The Book of Empathy. And that was, yeah, it's cool to, their children's book has just come so
0: far, you know? Yeah, and that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I feel like there's been like a renaissance of children's and young adult books. It's like, you know, Dr. Seuss is like, has got some good stuff, some bad stuff, but why not just use
1: modern stuff? That's like pure good, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. There's so many resources out there too, but I will say some of my, uh, one of my favorite authors that I've been reading this month is, uh, John Klassen and he does the book's I found my hat or where's my hat or who got my hat. And they're just like they just always leave me so perplexed after I read one of his books. But yeah, he's one of the best out there. Nice. Yeah, I don't know. It's cool. Yeah. Well, Show Notes got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a big 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 episode for the Show Notes team. Sweet Bob. Well, I was really hoping to bend your ear a little bit over to the the early April, as as our show will historically do in early April. Yep. Just look to the base, the baseball diamond, and I'm just curious how the first week of the season is going for you. Um, it's pretty good.
0: It's good to have baseball back. I was really excited by the. Re, re-emergence of um, Otani, the angel pitcher slash. Um, actually, I don't even know where he plays in the field. I think he's an outfielder.
1: Yeah, outfield. He might be DHing though for the Angels, right? Yeah, that that's quite possible. Yeah,
0: he had that great historic night where he pitched for the first time this season and threw the hardest pitch in baseball up to that point, 101 miles an hour, and then. The next inning, he hit a 451-foot home run that had the exit velocity that was the fastest exit velocity up to that point, 115 miles an hour, and so it's cool that I mean that's just amazing to see a two-way player that has those extremes, oh, run, yeah. you know, the best fastball and the quickest bat. Um, so we'll see if he can keep it up and. Uh, That's been a storyline. What are some other storylines that are interesting? I would say another little one, probably our listeners don't care very much, but do you know who's leading the league in RBIs, Dave? Um, Wow. I got to think Nelson Cruz is up there. Yeah, he is. Uh, But he's not number one. Number one is a player who played for the Cleveland Spiders last year and now plays for the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, Tyler Naquin. I just picked him up today, Bob. Yeah, he has five homers and something like 16 RBIs.
1: Wow. Yeah. I also noticed that you dropped Corey Kluber this week. Is that right, Bob? Yeah, that's right. On my fantasy team. He's had two pretty
0: mild to bad starts and... I think in our fantasy league, the style you want to go with is having a lot of offensive players that you can make sure you're rotating in and out to pile up those offensive stats, because there's a few more um, counting stats for offense rather than pitching. Um, So I think that might be, it's just the way that our league is set up that I think it favors that
1: style. Good. That's good advice. I've been trying to figure that out. So, cause I, yeah, I just to say, I got absolutely hammered by Nelly Cruz and the Peter Dalens. Yeah. The, the Peter Dalen and his
0: twins are just really piling on your teams this week. I've, I've, I've been worried that you might get good old goose egged in the first week. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be wild? I feel like the last time you played, you goose egged the, the, the last guy. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, some kind of legendary goose egging. And for our, for our listeners, a goose egging is when you win every single category.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just really important information. Um, if you don't mind, get out your notebook, get out your thrive because we know all the listeners have a thriving and dystopia notebook. Um, there's a workbook. Open up to page 85 and <laughs> fill out goose egging. <laughs> <laughs> and just know that's
0: not a commonly accepted term. That's a Dave Masler invented term. No. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> no. It's, um, I believe maybe it means zero, but I don't think anyone in the fantasy world uses it when you get a zero
1: for all your categories. Yeah, that's true. I feel... <laughs> Yeah, there's much better words like shutout or skunking, but I also think it's really interesting how the English language, like a goose egg makes sense, but it's so easy to turn into a verb, you know?
0: Yeah. Goose a
1: goose egging, which is kind of cool. I do love that about English. Um, Bob, has there been a two-way player like Shohei Otani in the last 50, 70 years? I can't really
0: remember any and it just doesn't seem like, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty in there in the baseball archives, you know, spend my free time just going through baseball reference. And I, I, I feel like more would have come up if I, through my research. So I I would say no, I could be wrong, but I would say no, Mm -hmm. not really since Babe Ruth. It seems like
1: yeah. Dang, that's wild. Yeah. I feel like there's been a few pitchers that were also really good hitters, but they didn't really get the chance to hit. That's they true. Like the Mike Hamptons of the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, Bob. Yeah, I guess. How are the Cleveland Spiders doing? They had a slow start, but they just brought out
0: the brooms this weekend against wow. them. Wow. The arch rival Detroit
1: Tigers. Do you think Aunt Betty listens to the podcast? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, if so, sorry, Betty. Sorry what we did to Detroit this weekend. That's right. Hopefully, hopefully, Detroit can recover at a later date, especially when they're playing the twins. Yeah. That's, we can all always cross our fingers for the twins to get thrumped out there. Do
0: you, um, follow any baseball, Dave? Or like, when do you get your baseball in and has anything
1: stood out to you? Yeah. I'm just trying to stay afloat. So I haven't yet. Um, I haven't been checking much besides when my phone tells me I need to switch out a fantasy baseball player and, or when you tell me I need to, um, yeah. So I haven't been following much, but I'm hoping you know, it's a long season. We still have, what, another five or six years before the season's over? Yeah, a good solid 155 games. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're 6%, 6%, 6% done, Dave. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> so, who really cares, right? Nothing's happened yet.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's so much to play. And then, since we're on the topic of sports, I uh, wondered if you caught that you wait, uh, Champions League game. Where the young uh, um, Mbappe, I think his first name is Kylian Mbappe, the French player, led a really surprising three to two victory over defending champions Bayern Munich. So for our for our European listeners, we got you on that one.
1: We got you on that one. Yep. Where's, where's, Mbappe, where's Mbappe, Mbappe playing for? He plays for Paris Saint Germain. Ah, PSG. Yep. Nice. And that's just the first
0: leg of that quarter final final match, but hopefully it was in Munich, so hopefully they can stand stand tall in Paris. Uh,
1: the Parisian crowds. Yeah. Yep. Are they having people come watch their games? Like Yeah, I think so. I think there's like the
0: similar to your American stuff where there's like some some fans
1: that are supposed to be socially distanced. Yeah. Some fandom but not a ton yeah yeah it's really interesting. I c- couldn't quite make when I've been watching sporting events I can't quite understand like who's there who's not some stadiums seem like doubly filled you know yeah or, like it depends really, uh, on
0: the state it's like regulated by state to state so I think there's no regulation on Texas so I haven't actually looked at Texas games and whether they're getting sold out or something um but hmm. now that you bring it up Interesting stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, Dave, Well, Bob. Why don't we well, get Bob. into it? Well, Bob. Well, Dave. <laughs> do you mind if I... Um, I just might crank right on into it, if that's okay. Please do. Let's call this episode a therapy session. Sure. Um, and, am I the therapist? Yeah. Love it. Um, I feel like... Yeah. I kind of... Was just thinking about what I wanted to talk about, how I wanted to unload some baggage, um, sort of ask for your advice a little bit um, and sort of pose a question. I might try and answer it as well as any good therapist. I'm sure you'll put the put the onus back on me, right? I'll give you some homework. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Just don't have me read men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. No, oh, no, don't Don't worry, Dave. Good. But. Here's where I was starting from. I'm starting from this idea that on Thursday night, I was holding a lot of baggage. I was holding on to a lot of other people's stress and holding on to a lot. And I kind of want to unpack it a little bit for you all just to see where it was for, just so you know where it's coming from. But then like, And I'll tell you what I did about it as well. And then I'm just going to kind of the question I'm going to give it to you ahead of time is like, what, what can we do about holding on to other people's baggage? Like what as humans can we do? Should we do like, how do we, how can we do this better? Or how can we switch what we're doing to be healthier for ourselves? Because, on Thursday night, I didn't sleep very well, and I started to get this really gross neck pain, and it was just like a lot, right? So I guess I'll start at the beginning, which is, and it's like all related to my job and at my school, but I have this one student whose parents are going through a separation right now, and it's it's a lot for her it's a lot f- for any like 9 or 10 year old to like experience that because it's a major world shift and yeah it's you can see like i can see that she's holding on to that right so the baggage really starts right there right with these parents that are separating and doing their best to try and like um cru- separate in a way that feels good and Make sure that like she's taken care of, but it's like, regardless of that, I know that it, she's like holding on to a lot because <clears throat> it's just a big shift in her world. And yeah, I've just like noticed like one of the bigger things that has happened is because like school feels, and like one of my goals as a teacher is for like school to feel more rock solid and steady that like that feels really important to her and fast forward um she has one friend she's told like two or three friends in the classroom about it and i got sick this week so i missed my first days of school this year and that like put a big shift in for my whole class, but for her in particular, right? That I was missing. And because it's like, oh, great. Like one of the constants in my life is like, whether or not I'm a good teacher or bad, I'm not trying to like quantify that at all. But just the fact that I am a constant is like important, right? So like I shifted her world a little bit. And then on top of that, her parents are like thinking that, like they might end up living in different states. So that's just like a lot going on. Right. And so her world feels like a lot. And she like put a lot of pressure onto the people that she was like, cause I wasn't there. So she started to rely on her friends and her friends couldn't carry that baggage well enough. And like sort of made the announcement to the rest of my class that, like her parents are splitting up and that like threw her world off. And then she ended up like, just like kind of like melting a little bit. Right. And she was mean to a lot of people because she didn't know how else to react. She was sad. She was like saying mean things to other people. And then, you know, so I get a text message about like, Hey, what's happening? Like, three or four kids went home in tears, you know? And it's like, I'm just feeling like a lot of sadness and pain because, you know, I'm gone for two days and my class just like implodes, right? Like all these kids are just like, everything's happening, right? And I feel like, oh no, like, what can I, what can be done about this, you know? And like, one of the moms wants something to happen and she feels like she can't do anything. And I'm like, so then here I am, I'm sitting here and on Thursday night after not being in school for a few days. And I'm just like, Oh my God, like everything just like fell apart in the course of two days. And like, I totally understand why, like I, like if you see all those things happening, it's like, yeah, it makes sense. I, I understand why her friends were like not being the best friends because it's really tough to carry that for somebody else. You know, it's, I understand why my student kind of like melted down. I understand why, you know, the other moms were upset because you know, they had their child come home in tears and that's upsetting, you know, and they want to know what's happening. And then here I am like feeling like I have to fix everything. And not really knowing like none of it felt like any of my stuff right i mean obviously it's happening inside my classroom so it's like it is partially happening um like it's partially me but like i just felt like my body started melting down and i just like was feeling really upset by that because i'm like ah it's like this is not mine to carry like i don't want to hold on to this baggage I do want to fix it. And I knew that I was going to be able to, you know, and yeah, like the next day, the girls actually like text messaged over like in early in the morning to like try and resolve the issues themselves, which is like really cool that they did that. And like exactly what I want them to be doing is like trying to like resolve their issues when they're ready to, you know, without adult mediation, because there's not always going to be adult mediation for them, you know? I mean, I'm there for them as a tool, but less as a person that's trying to guide. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, we took, I was able to get 30 minutes of my day where the rest of the kids were um, doing what's called deer time, drop everything and read. And I was able to sit down with the the three girls that you know, we're most involved in the situation and try and talk it out. And my biggest goal was to try and just like lay out because kids aren't always great at laying out what, like what they're holding, what baggage they're holding onto and like where they're coming from. But I feel like if you're able to like articulate why, then the empathy can be created. So I, my goal in the meeting, the conference was just to sort of articulate what, what it might've felt like and to try and have them put themselves in each other's shoes Um, because really they need each other. They all need each other. We all need friends and yeah. So yeah, I feel like it, the problem is not necessarily resolved all the way, but at least once we start to see each other in each other's shoes, it feels like a better situation. Yeah. So that's kind of like the upshot of the story, how the, the pain and the baggage got passed along from person to person. And I know that in this situation, I was like felt fairly confident that I was going to be able to resolve it. Like I just needed to actually do it. So I was like feeling a little bit antsy because I wanted to like resolve the pain um, or at least start down the path of resolution. But yeah, I guess my question to my therapist and I'm sh- um, In my session today is just sort of like, yeah, getting your advice, like what you do in those situations, Bob, when you're holding on to other people's pain. And a lot of times we can't resolve it, right? A lot of time we are feeling that emotional baggage and we can't just like pass. Like we can't actually find that resolution in a way that feels good and nice to us. And we have to like figure out another way to let go of it.
0: Yeah. That's a good setting of the stage, Dave. And it sounds like a hard week. It sounds like a number of things took place to make it quite hard. Um and the like I think um the context is maybe important to delve into a little bit and the context is your classroom, the the role of a teacher feels like implicitly or explicitly that you you are the I don't know how you view it but maybe I can I imagine you view it as like you're the captain of the ship and um everyone has roles and everyone can keep the ship going but ultimately the buck stops with you or you tend to want to Keep the ship going until summer vacation, you know, until you reach the destination. 29 days, Bob. Yep. Nice. (laughs) Sounds like you got your cartographers knowing exactly when you're going to reach
1: land. (laughs) (laughs) Always. A good teacher always knows how many days there are till summer. Um, So that
0: likely contributes to the fact that you feel like almost everything is your responsibility um or like you have a role to play in every relationship in the class and whatnot and that's a particularly severe case of having questions around when to draw boundaries because um in this situation clearly none of that is your emotional baggage of that girl like not even not even a touch of it but Um, that doesn't mean her blow up won't couldn't maybe like sink the ship or something like that. Does that play into your, your feelings around it?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I also feel like it's, yeah, it's a tight, it's a tight rope that we're walking as well. You know, like there's a lot of holes in the ship as we're going and, you know, there are I also feel like when parents are involved too, it feels like a little more like serious, you know? But I mean, that's like anyone, any teacher's goal is not to send a kid home crying, you know? Like that's so hard, but in any given year, every kid is going to cry, you know, because it's just so hard. It's, it's impossible to be six, 10, 16 years old. Like all those things are so rough. But yeah, I do agree that I feel like if I don't stem, if I don't like, yeah, if I don't deal with these issues, then the ship will sink. And then, I mean, really, it'd be great to make a new ship that's like perfect and solid, but like we have the ship that we have. So we have to like do our best to sail this ocean blue 1492.
0: I hope not. Maybe we should change the metaphor to. uh,
1: No, let's. We can stick with the metaphor. I just won't throw in Christopher Columbus, Colombo. (laughs) Yeah, but I do know. Yeah, that does feel true, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So in this case, I just think that there's the role of the teacher carries with it more expectations than role of like in society within a family or friend group. Um, so it like heightens the, the feelings that you might have, um, and makes it even more difficult to know how to draw boundaries. Um, this, in this case, and that all being said, I think it is still really important to draw boundaries as you're suggesting, like, how can I just like not take this on and not lose sleep over it? One thing that comes to mind is like an ability to take a step back and just have an honest observations or just like what what are your long term goals of the classroom and how to not get pulled too much into the emotions of this week but keep things focused on the long-term goals. For example, like you said, like a short-term goal is like not wanting kids to go home crying, but maybe a long-term goal is like understanding that that's, that happens a lot. And that's, that doesn't take away from the long-term like of getting the ship to the, the land. Um, If you're, if you're knowing that that's just a part of it and um, that might just come with experience or something like that.
1: Yeah, that's true. I would say, on top of that, like that perspective feels nice. But I would say that really the short term goal is to like send kids home happy or whatever. But like the long term goal is to give kids the tools to solve issues because that feels so much more critical than a feeling sad for a day. And I feel like that is also feels like one of my failures a little bit, because if I'm, if I can't be out of the classroom for a day or two without, and the kids like don't have people that they can like rely on then it feels like, huh, maybe I didn't set them up as well for success as I hoped to have. Like maybe my community building wasn't as strong and maybe like my leader, my classroom leaders haven't like stepped up enough or um, I don't know. So there, I, it's also been, It's been a hard year for like classroom community on top because like most of the year it was just a bunch of kids looking at me through a monitor. You know what I mean? Or half the year. So, you know, even though we're like nearing the end of the year, we've only been in a classroom together for like a month or or for two months. So that it feels like a little I feel a little robbed of that, you know, because like I think by the time we get to Memorial Day, it's gonna be like my classroom is going to be ready to like set sail in a good way. You know, we're actually going to be into the performing, but by that point it'll be summer break. So anyway, yeah, it's just like a lot of makeup work.
0: Yeah. It seems a little bit to use the language. Like it seems like you failed. And I think I'm noticing that that's just one particular way to frame it. And I think framing around realistic expectations seems important, um, rather than idealized expectations because from another perspective that the girls started texting could be seen as a pretty big victory that they did approach things on their own autonomously. Um, And within a year of the pandemic to have any, any such skills seems major because, so those seem like more realistic expectations. And then under those expectations, it can be viewed as a
1: success. Hmm. Yeah. I think that that is a big, uh, a big thing for me to take away is framing expectations of what I what is success and what is failure you know because i think if i reframe it like i was just grading math tests today and like I, and you know it usually takes me forever to grade because it feels like the least important thing for me uh it's you know way more important as you get to the higher grades and into college i think that those grades feel like they matter a lot more and You know, there's a demand for them to have it back. But like, if my kids never saw a grade, they'd be fine with it. Anyways, I started grading last week and I feel like when I was looking at the test last week, I feel like I was looking at them with a really harsh lens. And I was like, oh man, these kids, they just like missed. How did they miss that question? Like, that question was like spoon fed to them or whatever. Like, I like literally like wrote the answer on the board or whatever and they still missed it. But then like today I was like looking at the test again with a different lens and I was just like, man, these kids like are doing so much work. Like it's pretty incredible what they're capable of. So I think that reframing feels like a lesson that we all need to have. Yeah. Minute, I think me especially
0: asking ourselves the question when the these situations come on, like what are realistic expectations versus what's unrealistic expectations? Because I believe a a root, a big root of anxiety is having unreal, unrealistic expectations um, and letting those snowball out of control. And it's so easy because actually, I think most, most people in this society, at least most people that I know tend to have unrealistic expectations. both around the others, but especially around themselves. Um, and that might just because I'm s- surrounded by so many people in academia, but that is like a epidemic amongst ap- academics, having these like unrealistic expectations of themselves. Um, and that, and there's so much anxiety. And I think what you're talking about here is
1: anxiety, at least what was keeping you up that one night. Yeah. 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 Do you hold on to other people's baggage? I mean I'm I know you do, but if you could give me an example and how you like resolved it in a way that felt good to you. But I do like this idea of reframing and uh realistic expectations because I feel like that's a really good way of like thinking about it because then you can take little baby steps to resolving some of this anxiety or baggage.
0: Yeah, I think I take on other people's baggage a lot less than I used to. And Mm -hmm. I think it comes from years of probably mostly volunteering at Sabrosa and um, that's helped me see that I guess like, I feel like I'm actively this idea of critical self reflexivity Um, reflexivity means looking back on oneself and, um, who one is in society and like the critical part is looking around power dynamics and I've done it at Sabrosa. I guess I do it at grad school and my teaching as well. Um, like who am I and what kind of effect do I have on my students and the world, especially as a white cis male person? and. Um, I think that, I don't know. I think that I usually like come into most situations with a listening stance and I don't try to like put my stuff out there, which is a little bit of a privilege, you know, like I don't feel like I have to, for example, like impress people when I come into a situation. And so I'm usually more like observing and listening and, I guess that kind of helps me see like what, what my effect is and like what my responsibilities are. And I am often like trying to support other people while also, yeah, like seeing like how much can I support? Whereas, um, how much is my responsibility to like fix this thing? Um, And I guess I, oh yeah, I I came up, um, maybe this is kind of easy, but I did kind of get drawn into this. I was doing some housing justice organizing and I got put in touch with a random person who was having issues with a landlord and the landlord was trying to, I think, take her security deposit or part of it
1: and, um, I was willing oh, isn't to like that a classic story. Sorry. What's that? Isn't, isn't that just a classic story? Like how many landlords have robbed security deposits oh, everything. Yeah, classic years? story? Absolutely. And I definitely had a lot of sympathy
0: and empathy for this person. Um, and what she wanted was someone to be there with her during the, um, walk through the final walkthrough with the landlord or someone to do that for her and where she didn't have to be there. And, um, I started texting this person because, or like, I was a part of this collective that was trying to do tenant rights and whatnot. Um, so they got put in touch with me and I was able to give them some resources, but what she really wanted is for me to come over there. And it was like the next day, and she's fairly insistent on it and, and saying like, this just doesn't feel safe for me. And, um, that very well might be the case. And, but I didn't do it because, it, but I felt like maybe I should, um, because this is a like female identified person and it might not be safe for her and she needs support. Um, so maybe I should do it. Maybe I should do it as a, a you know, this dude. And, um, but then I just checked in I was like, I just like, I just don't feel comfortable doing this. And that voice was stronger saying like, Bob, you just don't have to do this. Like there's no one forcing you to do this. And, um, this person might, you know, might not like you afterwards, but I think, I think that's unlike just more okay with that over the years. Like, I guess I'm okay with people not liking me. But when I was younger, kind of wanted everyone to like me.
1: Hmm. Yeah, there's some wisdom in those words for sure. And something that I I need to learn a little bit, how to not necessarily be liked by everybody and be okay with that. Sort of going back to that confrontation piece that we were talking about last season.
0: That's right. I do have one more thought as well. Yeah. I think it's really good for communities to put together a set of community expectations and to continually develop them. Um, like for example, a common community expectation is like a simple one is like when we're talking that like only one person talks at a time. Um, but there can be so many other community expectations. Like, you know, if I'm having an issue with another person in the group, I I confront them about it rather than hold it or or go silent about it. That could be another one. And I think like if communities can develop those principles and expectations, then in times of challenge, people can draw on them. And I think that can help people get through to the other side where there can be a lot of self doubt, what you know, so um,
1: Hmm.
0: maybe, maybe has your classroom come up with, community agreements or anything like that?
1: We have in the past years, but this year felt so, and yes, we did do some for virtual learning because it was the start of the year and we had virtual learning, like community expectations of like how to use our computers and how to like be respectful in breakout groups and like talk to each other and all that stuff. But then once we got to back in person, Like first we did hybrid. So there was only like, you know, some days there was like five kids in the classroom and I'm like, yeah, like this is not a, not a lot of conflict arises when there's five kids. You know what I mean? So by the time we get to February, it just felt like I had these thoughts of like, should I do community expectations again? But we also kind of like knew each other as a community because we had spent like a hundred days together Uh, 107 to be exact just kidding (laughs) um but so no i didn't and i feel like as i was hearing you say that i was like damn that's like such a tool for kids to use when they're resolving their own conflict right to be like hey remember yeah what you know mr peachtree said or like remember that moment and like they can point to it on the wall and it gives them a way to like help resolve something you know Totally. Yeah. I think those
0: are really powerful. They're very taken for granted. For example, at at the university here, sometimes the teachers, including myself, will do it at the beginning of the quarter, but never go back to it. But those things need to be evolved, discussed, reshaped. Um, and yeah, I think they can be really, really powerful for groups. So, uh, I think we should start wrapping up, Dave. And I don't think this was a therapy session at all because I ended up talking a lot. But how do you feel at the end of this?
1: I feel like just a failure, Bob. No, just kidding. (laughs) No, I feel like um, it's funny because as I am like, oh, yeah, community expectations. How did I not do that? Like, and then I instantly was like, what a failure, you know? Isn't that funny? Dave,
0: you got to have realistic expectations.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Well, it was good. I feel like this was a real good full circle discussion. And yeah, I feel better. I feel like there's all, that's the thing about being a teacher, right? There's always something that you want to do better with. And it's like, dang, but you know what? That's the thing. Kids don't have any like real sense that like I could go into school tomorrow and do community expectations. And that would like it'd be fine because they don't know that it's the end of the year. They don't know that they only have 29 days of school left.
0: That's true. Yeah.
1: You know? They'd be like, oh
0: yeah, this is the part of the class where towards the end of the school year, the teacher does community expectations. Get that's just what happens. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's what happens on the last day of school. Um. Yeah. So that's like the beauty of it. So maybe I will go in and do it tomorrow.
0: Oh, good. Oh, yeah. I'd love to check back in on that.
1: Yeah. So that's that is the real beauty of being a teacher. Like you can mess up a thing for 147 days, and then on a day 148, you can just switch it, and then it will just be fixed.
0: I think that's a really important lesson as well. I like that a lot, and I think a lot of teachers would say like I can't do that, but you're saying like of course you can and every day is you know you can be reborn if we uh, if we take the philosophy of our good friend Mike Bishop recently got his masters that's a big theme in his his work you can
1: you can always be reborn there you go well shall we
0: gut check gut <laughs> check yeah i got a one dave and we talked about one before the show but i'm going to throw a change up and go to baseball. My gut check is Dave, you know, you know, the score, you know how we do this. So here's the prompt. Yep. Some team in baseball will go from worst to first and win their division. So they were, they took last place in their division last year and they're going to surprise everyone and win their division in, in
1: one of the six divisions that's going to happen. Nice. Um can you give me the six losers from last year, Bob, and then I can um tell you if it's gonna happen? I can. Um I just take me one second. Good. Well while you're well I'll vamp for a little bit and give everyone the coordinates. So before we finish our gut check, if you want to get at us, you can check us out on thrivingindystopia.com. Thanks, Mixer. You can get us on Twitter, BMAze19, TikTok, Dave Peachtree. E- email is Dave at gmail.com. Instagram, boy, we are accessible. Thriving underscore in underscore dystopia. And yeah, you can always um, you know, write us a snail mail at uh P.O. Box. No, no PO box. Anyways, you got
0: it, Bob? <laughs> I was love, I was, when you pause there for a moment, I'm like, oh, wow, do we have a PO box? Yeah, No, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I do have them up, Dave. The 2020 yeah. uh, basement dwellers. Here we go. For the AL East, we had the Boston Red Sox, AL oh, Central, Detroit Tigers, AL West, Texas Rangers, NL East, Washington Nationals, NL Central, Pittsburgh Pirates. NL West Arizona Diamondbacks.
1: Well, Bob. Um, so the gut check is: Will one of these teams do it? And my gut says I'm going to give you a two out of ten. Not going to happen, Bob. Cool.
0: Um, I'm uh, my gut says three out of ten,
1: Dave. And would you like to justify your rating? Yeah, I just think the two best teams that have a shot at it are maybe the Pittsburgh Pirates and the. Uh, Boston Red Sox but Red Sox are in a really tough division and then the Pirates I just feel like it's like the Cubbies are just going to do it. Yeah that all
0: makes sense and I rated it a three simply for two reasons I think the Washington Nationals are a good team and they won the World Series just two years ago so and they got Strasburg back and. Soto's really great. So I think they have a shot. And then I would also say Boston is a decent team for sure. They are in a very tough division, but they're leading the AL East so far. So maybe they'll keep it up. So that's why I, I just bump it up a little bit more than you. Nice. Yeah. Will we ever check back in with these gut checks? Yeah, we will. And thank you for saying that because your gut check from week one, which was a good one. Came down to the final four. Your gut check was, will a double, uh, yeah, double digit seed win the NCAA tournament? And you got close, Dave, with UCLA, an 11 seed going all the way to the final four and just barely Overtime. losing to Gonzaga.
1: Yeah. What a shot. Maybe the best shot of, um, college basketball history, <laughs> top five at least.
0: Yeah. It probably would go top five. Although, yeah. Dave, did, did Suggs call the bank?
1: And does that matter? Well, uh, check back in next week, if it matters, right here at Thriving in Dystopia. All right, Bob, I'm signing out. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, Bob. Love you, (laughs) Dave.
0: love driving crew. Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is "In Heaven" by Drake
1: Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Cheyetch. Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer, and of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. And finally, our new outro song is "Stay" by Valerie June. See you next
0: week.
1: and you and my life was a show But if you can